Well, hello, my name is Pastor Laura, and I am so happy to be up here with my dear friend, Jenny Bates, our guest speaker today. Um, So I will tell you, Jenny and I met about, was it five years ago? Something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) And the reason I went up to Jenny is Jenny had on a Wonder Woman leather jacket. And I was like, this is my kind of person. So I went up to Jenny uh, during church, and I introduced myself, and very much in Laura fashion, I just went up to Jenny and was like, hello, hi, I'm Laura, nice to meet you, I want to be best friends. And then we became best friends. (laughs) Um, But uh, Jenny and I have been going to seminary together. Um, I go to Perkins School of Theology, or I went. And I go to Bright Divinity School over at Texas Christian. Yeah. So we had started meeting um, at a bar in Denton, doing homework, talking about theology, and drinking a beer here and there. And we thought, hey, what if we did this with other people? And so we started something three years ago called Pub Theology in Denton, where we met at a local bar and we talked about different theological topics that um, you maybe wouldn't normally talk about in a Sunday, uh, Sunday school space. And um, it was really freeing, I think, to both of us. Um, So that's just a little bit about us. I wanted to put that in there because on September 12th, Jenny and I will be bringing Pub Theology here to Frisco, and I hope that you will join us um, in that endeavor. Um, So today is the last day of our Becoming Neighbor series, and um, there's a cohort in the group, in our conference, that's doing something called the Good Neighbor Experiment. And they're, um, what, Jenny, what is the Good Neighbor Experiment? So some of you may be part of this. I know Grace Avenue had a pretty strong group. I've been a part of the group um, through First United Methodist Denton, which is my church that I typically attend. And the Good Neighbor Experiment is a group out of um, a larger nonprofit called the Neighboring Movement. And it's based in Lawrence, Kansas. And we have um, a cohort that's here in North Texas that's about... I think it's five different churches, large like First Denton and Grace Avenue, to smaller churches like Pilot Point. And we've been exploring the idea of what does it mean to be a good neighbor, like Christ asks us, but a literal neighbor. So the person who lives right next door to you that you might share a wall with or share a yard with. And it's really focusing on changing um, our shift of like, oh, you know, general neighbor to like very specifically this person who shares life with me that I may not even know. Right. Because as neighbors, you share, you're closest to that person literally 24 hours a day, except for when you're at work. So what if we created relationships on that? And we've been working with Reverend Jessica Wright, um, part of, who's part of the conference, to work on this class. We've met twice now um, as cohorts, and we'll meet again in October. Yeah. So it's been a really awesome experience to be part of that cohort. Um, and so... We wanted to let you know, uh, look at the, the, our scripture today in the lens or through the lens of what it means to be a good neighbor. So we're going to go ahead and read the scripture. Um, would you like to read it? Or do you want me to read it? Let's let you have it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says, what do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine? on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices 
over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. The word of God for the people of God. So, as you might can tell, we're talking about sheep today. Anybody get excited about sheep? (laughs) Okay, maybe not that many people here get excited about sheep. But um, when we talk about this 99 and the one, we're talking about a flock. I mean, it's a real metaphor for community. And the shepherd is caring for this flock, this community, making sure they aren't matted, making sure they have enough food, making sure they are safe from predators, because they're just chilling on the side of a mountain. And you can be in a precarious position as a sheep, especially a lone sheep. Um, a she- the shepherd walks alongside them and guides them. Um, and we talked a little bit uh, before when we were kind of going through this, what sheep represent? Yeah, so sheep, if you've never met a sheep, um, (laughs) they are... I don't know if I've ever personally met a sheep. I've met a couple. Um, They're they're all very nice. Um, (laughs) They need someone to kind of help guide them. They're going to want to go off on their own ways. And so what in the Bible, we're talking about sheep because sheep was an animal that a lot of people in that time period would have worked with. Um, Sheep usually appear as metaphors, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, but also in the Christian scriptures. And it's because they're vulnerable creatures that are the recipients of care, either human in the case of like literal sheep or divine care in the case of God. Um, And we're God's little sheep just running around and God's doing God's best with us. (laughs) Um, And so we also see this again in the, we're saying in the Christian scriptures or what y'all might know as the New Testament Um, Jesus instructs Peter to feed my lambs. Lamb is a little baby sheep and even little, even more vulnerable than a full-grown sheep. And it's, here it says, the lambs are the followers for whom Peter is providing care. So if you know a pastor, usually we've heard at least once, Pastor Laura, go feed my sheep. And that's (laughs) God instructing Laura to take care of the community she loves and cares about. That's right. Um, And this story has been interpreted in so many different ways. And I think uh, for many of us in church, we've heard the interpretation of um, that the sheep who has wandered away is um, a lost sheep or maybe a sheep that wasn't, that isn't saved and that um, Jesus goes to save them. Now, the Bible is complex. So guess what? There are many interpretations for one text. It's kind of like a a gym. You can hold it up, this story, and you can see different sides of it. And there's different interpretations and different meanings that can come from one single story. So the way we are interpreting wandering or a wandering sheep is not someone who hasn't been saved, but it's someone who has been disconnected from the community, who has wandered away either on their own because they're not being um, cared for in the community, or maybe they are very much excluded because of who they are. Yeah, so when Laura and I are talking about wandering, um, it's less of a, I'm rejecting community, but maybe I don't feel like I belong. And one of the examples um, of the work I do is mostly queer advocacy, and what I found with um, queer or LGBTQIA plus people in churches is that um, 
often they don't feel like they can be their whole selves in church. They are only a fraction of themselves in spaces. And so I know in my experience, that caused me to wander away from the faith spaces I was part of. If I'm not being respected for who I am, um, or they don't care about parts of me, um, why do I want to stay here? And it's not that I don't love God or love church. It's that I just don't feel like this space cares about me. So it's easy to wander away, to find other groups that care about you. Um, I found broader care in the broader queer community, so I spent more time there than my church spaces. Um, it's not the wandering that's the problem. Often we put emphasis that it's the sheep's fault, um, but it's not the sheep who wanders fault. The bigger question that I and Laura usually talk about is why did that sheep wander? What was the cause of the wandering? Why did that sheep feel like it had to leave? Yeah, and why... Why did it feel like it would be more safe on its own rather than being part of the rest of the community? Um, and so, you know, I think um, this brings us to the point where you have the 99 and the one that's wondering, and then you look at the one, and Jesus is running towards the one. Jesus is all the shepherd's attention is put to the one. So what about the 99? Are they not valid? Do they not matter? And so we were talking a little bit about that. And it's, it's not that the 99 are not cared for. It just means in that exact moment, in that exact moment of danger, their danger is not imminent. Where the sheep who is wandering off, it is. It's very imminent. They are vulnerable to predators, vulnerable to being in isolation, um, as people, when we are separated from community, we're vulnerable to mental illness, to depression, to, um, to is isolating ourselves. Um, not being in community is unhealthy for us as people. Um, and so we had an example uh, that we're going to bring up about this. Yeah, so often when Laura and I are talking about this, we are thinking about... Um, sort of like political movements that emphasize the advocacy for one group maybe um, in light of another group. So we talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and how um, this is a, for what we saw as a good example of this because the point of the Black Lives Matter movement isn't that, it's just black lives that matter. It's that the Black Lives Matter are the ones who are in danger right now. So looking at it from a queer perspective, um, the rallying cry is often black trans women's lives matter because black trans women are more likely to be murdered um, in society compared to their general population. So it's kind of that, it's not that in the queer community we don't care about white cisgender queer people. It's just that right now, white cisgender queer people aren't facing the same violence as black trans women are. So it's not saying that God only cares about this group and the other 99, they're doing great, God doesn't, they don't need God or God doesn't care about them. It's that in this exact moment, that one sheep, like Laura said, is looking over a cliff. Right. And so, of course, you're going to go help the people that are looking over the cliff. It's not less love for you. It's not less rights for you. It's not less care for you. It's just in that exact moment, this is what's happening. And you had a, um, another example that I really liked about life jackets. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't know how many of you go boating. There's a lovely lake nearby. I drove by Lake Little Elm on my way here. Um, if a boat is sinking, if you're helping people, who is the Coast Guard going to go to first? The people who are in life jackets 
okay? Or the people who are still stuck on the boat that don't have life jackets who are drowning. I'm not a Coast Guard, but I would imagine they would go to the person with the life jackets who are at least floating safely away from the boat who can maybe survive a little bit longer than the person who's sinking on the boat. Right. Um, I'm a huge Titanic fan, so that kind of plays into that as well. But, like, the people who are stuck on the boat who are going down with the ship need to get off first. Right. The people in the life jackets, yes, they're still in danger, but they're okay for the exact moment. And so much in advocacy work, we are focused on what is the danger in this exact moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, going towards the one. So we really see in this scripture that Jesus is calling us to the vulnerable people in our society, to the people who are really at the bottom of our systems of hierarchy. So, um, for instance, in our racial system, the people who have been um, discriminated against have received hate and violence, um, mostly people of color. In our uh, system of economics, capitalism, um, people who have been hurt by, let's say, payday loans, um, that they need money badly, so they get a payday loan and it's like 100% interest, um, and they can't pay it back. Um, they are crippled by their debt. Um, there are many, many people that are vulnerable in our society because of our systems of hierarchy. And so I really feel like this scripture is saying that those are the people that we should give our attention to. And if we widen our view, um, so we have this, this story, this parable, right, about the, sheep, the lost sheep. If we widen our view and look at the rest of the scripture, the chapter 18, we see that this parable is actually an answer to a question that the disciples ask, because, you know, disciples ask a lot of questions, and their question was, who is the greatest in heaven? They were, that was a really important question to them. Who is the greatest among us, and how do I become the greatest? And so Jesus, in turn, as Jesus tends to do, we call it in theology school, the great reversal. We have this expectation of what Jesus is going to say, and Jesus flips it on its head. And at that moment, Jesus says, the little children, the most vulnerable in ancient society, the ones who did not have rights, they are the ones who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Not what the disciples thought they were going to hear, right? And so... That's the light we can look at this story in. Who are the vulnerable in our society who needs the care that we are not giving because we are focused on the 99? Yeah, so um, when you think about society, often um, reading a book on evangelism, we're talking about empire building, and empire is, the goal of empire is everyone is the same because you have to just give less care. If everyone's the exact same, one plan fits all. The government doesn't have to worry about doing specific care for specific needs. Um, and like you're doing bureaucracy, you want to find the easiest answer that helps the most people. But we don't see that actually isn't good because that's not the one answer is not going to be there for everyone. So when we're talking about vulnerable communities that aren't cared about. We're talking about disabled communities. We're talking about um, some children, orphans, and widows. We're talking about the migrant community. Um, we're talking about 
trans people of color, we're talking about Asian Americans, we're talking about people who are living in poverty, either through, um, like we're talking about loans and predatory loans, or medical debt. These are the kind of things that, and people who are often ignored because there's this thing like, we can't solve that problem right now that's causing this. And it's, well, you just don't want to think about it. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, there's so many problems. How do I, you know, solve all these problems? And advocacy is less about one individual having to solve all the problems. Right. But together in community, we can all work together. So a sheep going off on its own, the community could have kind of maybe tried to help that sheep stay with its herd. That's what the shepherd's for. That's why they're sheepdogs. That's why we're all those people who work together to help people find safety and comfort. Yeah, and I think we talked a little bit about it last week, um, if you were with us, that the problems we have in our society are so big that we often get completely overwhelmed by them. I know that I do. If I look at social media a lot or look at the news a lot, I start to feel helpless and I start to shut down and I start to say, well, there's nothing that I can do. I'm just one person. And I think this story helps us see that it's not in individual work, but it's in community work when we care for the vulnerable. Yeah, so if we're working on, well, we're talking about solidarity. So solidarity in that I am in solidarity with people who are doing immigration work. I am in solidarity doing, people doing racial work because our lives are so complex that we all have parts of that to, mm-hmm. as part of us. So I am a queer, non-binary white person with a mental illness. So advocacy work implies that I'm I need help from people who are doing queer advocacy work. I need people who are doing mental illness advocacy work because together we'll survive. And that's why it's so important to be at neighbors because how are you supposed to know what care I need if you don't know anything about me? How do people in Frisco know what their neighbors need in Frisco unless you're getting to know your neighbor? Maybe your neighbor is in severe medical debt and may need some help. Maybe you're they're close to being unhoused. What resources does Frisco have, like United Way, um, that can help them stay in their home? Yeah. So those are things that you're not going to know about someone by just seeing them. Mm-hmm. You're going to know about them by building relationships and building being a neighbor with them. Well, Jenny, tell me a little bit more about what you mean by solidarity. So solidarity, um, an exact definition, I don't have for you. <laughs> But the one that I use when I'm talking about solidarity is that I'm not advocating for you, I'm advocating with you. There's a difference between saying, I'm gonna go advocate for you at city council, and hey, I heard you're going to city council, can I come with you? The bigger emphasis is doing the work with Mm -hmm. um, versus doing the work for, because you're not gonna know what maybe that person needs unless you're in community with them. There's been kind of a shift, I would say, in progressive um, Christian spaces that, um, you know, charity is amazing, and we want to give from our abundance um, all the time, but that it's more than just giving material needs, that we um, are actually forming relationships that are transformational, that in relationship I will learn how that person is hurting. In relationship, I will learn if they're in debt and need help because they're not going to tell a stranger. They're probably not going to come up to the church and say, hey, I'm drowning in debt and I don't know what to do. 
Only in relationship can we be in solidarity with people, rather than being apart from and just giving to. Now, I say that there's nothing wrong with charity. <laughs> I want to make that clear. Giving is always good. But we need to do more than give. We need to build relationships. And that's what being in solidarity with, um, or also another word that's used by a lot of pastors is um, uh, being accompanying, accompanying them on, a, on the journey. And one of the things that being in solidarity with will teach you is that sometimes there are people in your spaces that are missing. So in a lot of spaces, there's invisible marginalizations um, that like mental health, invisible disabilities, queerness that isn't clearly visible, economic status. These are things that you may not be able to see in the person. It's a little bit different than race, which is a physical attribute that is clear most of the time, not all of the time, because race is also, um, and the colorism is also a spectrum. Um, but if you're looking at these invisible things, you're not seeing them, how do you know they're in your community? Yeah. Or if you're looking around like, and you don't see black people in your space, you don't see disabled people in your space, um, solidarity makes you ask the question, why? What is stopping these people from feeling like they can be in my space? Is it physical barriers? Like the church doesn't have a wheelchair ramp or there's not a, um, a handicap accessible stage access or there's not an interpreter. Um, those are physical things or is it a more mental thing kind of like we're talking about with debt? Um, if there's a culture of shame around having debt, why would someone who has a lot of debt go to a church when they just feel like they're going to be shamed for having debt? Um, so there's lots of things if you're looking around your space like, well, I'm in solidarity. Like, look at our church. We're in solidarity with queer folks. And there's queer people who come to our church. Great. That's a space you're doing great solidarity and advocacy with. But there's other spaces, too, that you might want to consider of, well, why aren't these people in our space? Mm -hmm. um, is it unsafe? Yeah. It's just a really, uh, for me, it's a really big shift in my thinking of um, not that I have to maybe go out and search for people, but that there's a reason why they've been separated from the community in the first place. Um, but really having the, trying to remember that this is the answer to who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what does that really mean for us now today? And I think for us, it means that servanthood, seeking out the vulnerable, making sure that people are welcomed and affirmed in your community, that is the highest goal. Um, and, you know, if we look at that through earthly lenses, uh, servanthood doesn't seem that exciting. Um, we may even say, Jesus, maybe you got this wrong, because in our society, servanthood is, is the people at the bottom. Um, but when we use our spiritual lenses, we see that it's the people at the bottom of the hierarchies that are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus teaches us. And it's our job to reach out to the vulnerable. Um, and that may mean giving up some of our own power or in, in a sense feeling like we've given up some of our own power. There's a line um, in the Good Neighboring Experiment, if y'all haven't been a part of it, that says... Um, being a good neighbor require, requires vulnerability and that um, safety does not mean you will not be uncomfortable. So when doing advocacy work, um, you will go into situations 
that you are safe, you are physically safe, but you will be uncomfortable because you may be called to account for things. Mm -hmm. Like when I am working in queer communities, I'm often called to account like, oh, well, you're a white person who has economic privilege and that's correct. I do have those things. Um, So I don't know the full experience of um, maybe an immigrant Latinx person who is queer, who has come, has a very, had a very large journey to get here and is not welcomed because of their race in the community or their migration status. So um, you will be uncomfortable. That does not mean that you are not safe. Right. Those are not the same thing. And that's a big point in advocacy. And it's a big point about, um, we're talking about giving up part of our privilege or maybe being called to account for our privilege and using our privilege. Um, that we need to think about as we're being good neighbors. Mm-hmm. Because so often I feel like when people have an advocacy or they want to be good neighbors, like, oh, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I have to talk to a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have and to talk, talk to, to someone strangers. who does not have the same life experience as you. And that's okay yeah. because you're not unsafe. Well, you will the, feel a difference. The fact is that when you do that, you are expanding mm-hmm. um, who you are as a person and you are able to see through the lenses of someone else's experience that can only um, make you greater spiritually. The shepherd who's on the edge of the cliff is uncomfortable trying to get their sheep back, but they have enough experience to know that they are also safe in that space. So it's not going to mean that you will always be comfortable. And sometimes safety will be at risk when you do more advocacy if you go to a protest, but that's that's a whole different sort of topic and understanding Mm -hmm. of um, managing safety, but those are just kind of the things to think about of what God is asking of us. God isn't asking us to stay safe and comfortable in our churches, but to go out and to help other people find safety and help them create spaces where they're safe and comfortable. Yeah, and and help people come back to the flock. So um, before we end today, Jenny, I just want uh, you to tell me uh, when we're looking at advocacy as holy neighboring, what kind of things would you say that would be doing in the world, direct action? So some direct actions to think about, and we'll kind of go into this a little bit deeper in this, the Sunday Spotlight, is actions on um, like speaking at a city council meeting, if there's a topic you care about, if your city council is talking about redistricting and voting, voting like redlining or voting, Go to city council and talk about that if you care about that. If there is a school board meeting where they're talking about banning books from the library, um, educate yourself on what those books are, why those books matter to people, why they were written by their author, and be prepared to go speak at city council. Part of um, one of the things that's great about democracy, I guess, is that we have voices that we can use, and that's not true for everyone all the time. Sometimes there are situations it will be unsafe for someone to go speak at a city council meeting. So if you feel safe in that role, I encourage you to take that opportunity. Um, If you're like, I cannot speak in front of people, we love a good writer letting, letter writing campaign. Letter writing. (laughs) Um, And those are all things that I'll be talking about next week at my Sunday school lesson, the more praxis of advocacy. Um, because there are opportunities and ways that anyone can be involved in community care. Yeah, advocacy is not just going to a protest, although right. that's one of the things you can do. But there's yeah. many, many things you can do, a direct action um, besides that, if that's you know, not your jam. Because that, that is not everybody's jam. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much, Jenny, for being here and just 
telling us a little bit more about how to do advocacy work in the world. And I just thank you for this conversation.